Good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I feel very honored to be invited to come back and speak. Uh, it's been a while, uh, and I have to admit that at times I have a little bit of problem with names. <laughs> so please forgive me if, if uh, you run into that problem with me. I want to just share with you and say thank you for your kindness to our son, Philip, and his wife, Heather, who were here about a month ago speaking. Um, I don't want to steal their thunder, but uh, they have finally gotten the release to go to France, and they're making their um, all the procedures that they need to be able to go, getting their visa, uh, making travel arrangements. But I just want to thank you for the warm welcome that you gave them, uh, inviting them to many of the, the uh, life groups. It was a great and uh, a really a positive thing for them. So thank you very much for, for reaching out to our son. Let's just start uh, this message by a word of prayer. Father, We come to you um, again in humility. We come to you with our hearts open, our hands open, empty of any of righteousness that we come with our own, but asking you to talk to us, to speak to us, to fill us with your righteousness and to guide us through this morning. In Jesus name. Amen. I'd like you to walk with me into kind of a dark place. I'd like you to think for just a second that someone in your immediate family has been killed. Not an easy thing to think about. Maybe it's your parent or your spouse, brother or sister. It's a difficult thing. But the perpetrator's been caught and actually goes and is sentenced and is on his way to prison. But before he gets there, through the legal process, he makes an appeal to the governor. And this man who has murdered your relative is pardoned and his his uh, sentence is expunged. How do you feel? Betrayal, anger, resentment, hurt. How can this be? How can how can this system that is based on justice has fallen apart around and someone is getting away with murder? When we begin to think about this and enter into this thought, we actually are really well prepared for Jonah 4. As we look at Jonah 4, he is faced with something that creates a huge discord in his mind. Here are the Ninevites and the Assyrians who have a culture of cruelty which is profound and deep. These are people who, when they talked, when they put up uh, images of who they were, and they, they chiseled into stone, who are we? They chiseled in scenes of cruelty. One of the scenes is of uh, the Assyrians conquering a neighboring country, and they cut off the, the, the left hand, the two feet of the person, but they leave the right hand so that they can shake their hand as the person slowly dies. That's the culture. That's the culture of this country. And yet, something has happened that spares them. Though they are infinitely guilty of murder, and even worse, they're walking scot-free. He wanted strict justice. By strict justice, I mean he wanted, you done something wrong, you're going to get the punishment. He wanted it exactly to, to match up right away and immediately. But we look at this situation and we see that he wanted strict justice, but God granted mercy to the Ninevites. You know, this is a hard concept for us to wrap our brains around at times because we all have groups of people that are kind of in, 
in our thinking and people that are outside of, of our group. People we naturally gravitate to and people we avoid. And sometimes we end up in the, labeling them. Sometimes we end up putting them into boxes. And so even in today, in today's political uh, conversation, we've got, we've got the, the woke left liberals and we've got the mega republicans. And, and, and each side is talking and looking at each other and, and saying, oh, those are people that really don't belong to us. And if bad things happen to them, that's probably a good thing. And it's a consequence of where they've gone. But we all have these. Sometimes it's people that are, that are outside of our normal uh, context of who we're with and, and who we're around. And we don't expect that, they would ha- that good things would happen to them. One of the big points, and the big points of all that we're looking at in this book of Jonah is this message here. And that is that God will have mercy on the most undeserving, and we need to get used to it. What do you do when your friend who, or your neighbor, who, the, the one who keeps dumping garbage over the fence into your yard, wins the lottery? How do you feel about that? Boy, that, that, that shouldn't happen that way. Or... The person who, who, who does uh, street racing up and down your street, uh, he, he's, he's actually, uh, he, he gets a job with a real high-paying position. All these things, we, we have these people, we feel they deserve bad things to happen to them. And yet, good things happen to them. We expect judgment. We expect God to judge them. And yet, good things happen to them. God shows them mercy. Let's look at... Um, as you turn your Bibles to Jonah uh, 4, we're going to read actually uh, the verse that precedes Jonah, Jonah 1, 4, 1. And this is what it says. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, what, he, what they did was they repented and they turned from their evil ways. He had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He play, prayed to the Lord. Oh, let's get that in a second. There's a conflict here. There's a conflict in Jonah between what he expected to happen and what actually happened. There's a conflict between what he thought God should do and how God acted. He actually made this great profession, this great statement that he says in, uh, in, in Jonah 3. He goes to the great city of Nineveh and he says this. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. In Hebrew, it's five words. <laughs> That's a really short message. It's a very negative message. He's not giving hope. Um, and it, you can almost feel that Jonah is also saying, hey, yeah, I kind of hope this happens too. And yet it doesn't happen because the people repent and they turn to God and he shows them mercy. He delays the judgment that he's going to give. Now, the judgment does fall later. On Nineveh, but at this time it did not. So Jonah expresses a lot of things. He prays to the Lord. And he says, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That was why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Um, does that make you smile when you read that? You know what it makes me think of? 
um, some of the people who uh, look at Jonah and some of the commentators on Jonah talk about Jonah as a comic figure. Have you ever heard couples fighting and they say the things to each other, you are so loving. You're so kind. You're so slow to get angry. You never hear that. But just think about Jonah, the, the, the sort of comic aspects of Jonah. He runs from God, and what happens? Smack, he runs into God. He is thrown into the water, and what happens? A fish swallows him. He preaches judgment, he sees mercy. This guy loves plants, okay? This is like a dominant thing in his life. Some of us can relate to that, right, Dan? Um, there's something that's kind of ironic, that, that he's complaining to God and he's saying to God, you are kind, you are generous, you are all these things that are highlighted uh, and bolded on the, on, on the slide. You're slow to anger, you're abounding in love, you relent sending calamity. I knew this is what you were like. Yet these attributes frustrate Jonah. Why? Again, when it is applied to other people... He can't stand it, especially to his enemies, especially to people who are against him or who he feels are on the outside. He says, I'd rather see them destroyed than see them receive mercy. That's a strong sentiment. It's a strong feeling. These comments are actually that he says about God are actually pulled from several different passages uh, in Scripture. Um, If you look at Exodus 34, uh, 6 through 7, you'll see that. That this is uh, the incident where Moses asks to see the glory of God and God shows, says this to him. He says, he, as he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. And it's important for us to realize God is a God of justice. But not always a God of strict justice. And sometimes he delays his justice for good reasons. And we'll look at some of those in a second. But God is a God of gracious kindness to people. Even the most evil, repugnant, rebellious. The Lord is compassionate, says David in Psalm 103. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. And the call in Joel is to calling the people back away from slavery, uh, from from, um, uh, idolatry, and calling them into a, a relationship again with God. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. But the fact that God is kind and merciful to people who he sees as enemies presents an insurmountable conflict in Jonah's mind. And um, he wants strict justice, the strict justice of God, especially when it comes to the wicked, the undeserving, and those who are not of the tribe of Israel. So Jonah is in this place where he says, Now, O Lord, take away my life. For it's better for me to live, or to die, than to live. He said, this is, this is tearing me apart. I can't live with this. Um, we'll talk, I think there's some, some other things that are going on, not just the conflict that he has in thinking about God, there's other things that are going on, but he, he is, he is, he just says, I, I want to die. 
This is not suicidal ideation. He's not thinking about killing himself. He's really asking God to take his life. This is now the second time that he's put himself in that position where he lets God take his life. First, when he's thrown into the ocean, and now uh, his this situation here. James Bruckner says this about this. He is confident enough in Yahweh's mercy to him that he is ready to die in it, but he cannot live with the social reality of the forgiven Ninevites living in that same mercy. He's caught in an irony, in a difficulty that is really hard for him. And how does God respond to this despondent, distressed, freaked out prophet? He answers to them with a question. And he says to him, have you any right to be angry? I love the way that this is uh, typical of God's questioning, how gentle it is. How he, he, he doesn't come down hard on Jonah. Did Jonah deserve justice for what he just said to God? Kind of. But this is typical of God's questioning. I remember uh, in um, Genesis 16, Hagar is running away from Sarai, her ma- mistress, and, he's, and she's lost in the desert. She really doesn't know what's happening for her. And God asks her this question, where have you come from and where are you going? We don't get an answer from Jonah to this question, have you any right to be angry? But he's still not accepting God's mercy. He's not gotten used to it. So God gives him an object lesson, a life lesson that is very, very significant. So let's read um, this section. This is going to read uh, five through eight. Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah and give shade to his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn, the next day when the sun rose, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. And when the sun rose, uh, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Do you notice as you read through this that all through it, we see that God is the prime mover in what's happening. He provides a vine. He makes it grow. Then he sends a worm and he sends a wind. God is the one who's behind this. Um, I think it's also, it's important for us to realize that all through our Bible, we get this message that God is the creator. He creates both the laws of nature and then he also interrupts them at his will. We can pray for healing, supernatural healing today, because God interrupts the general plans of nature. He also works with them. And we all, we don't know how he's going to act and we don't know how he's going to respond, but we can pray for those things because we serve a creator God. In this incident, God is showing jo, uh, Jonah mercy. Uh, and this is another expression of mercy to him. First he sends a fish that swallows him. Then that fish puts him out on dry land. He then gets the energy to walk 500 miles to Nineveh. And now the vine is there for him. And then he takes the vine away. <laughs> and again, I would say this is an act of mercy because it's an avenue for increasing his understanding. Many times we need 
And I, it's hard for me to say this, but it, many times we need difficult situations so that we will learn new things about ourselves and new things about God. Sometimes those things are really painful, really difficult. Sometimes they are things which we would rather avoid or live without. Uh, loss of a job. Uh, health that is extremely compromised. Uh, loss of our facilities. Being able to move physically. Uh, losing our driver's license. All of these things can be things which could be really difficult for us, but yet God often takes us through these difficult situations to form us into his image and to teach us things about himself. Just think about Jonah, for example. He gets thrown into the ocean. He gets swallowed by a whale. In chapter 2, you have some of the clearest descriptions in, in Jonah of how he actually sees God and how he actually begins to understand him in the darkest place of his life. Where he's, he's, he's on the border of death. He begins to see what life is all about. And here again, Jonah is being shown a situation. And we'll, we'll see where God's going with him on this. Because God is going to take him to a place where he will begin to understand kind of what life is all about. And what, 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 what God is doing in the world. And so, uh, God asks again... Uh, he, he, so Jonah says this, this, this question. He says, you know, uh, he wanted to die. And he says, it would be better for me to die than to live. And God asked the question. He says, God said to Jonah, do you have the right to be angry about the vine? Before he says, are you right? Are you, are you right to be angry? And that's really about Nineveh, about Nineveh being spared. And now he asks the question, are you right to be angry about the vine? You got this vine, and, and now it's been taken away. And what I see happening here is God is reaching out to Jonah and saying, talk to me. What's going on? And very often, we think we have to have exactly the right words when we speak to God. It, we've got to have the formula right. We've got to say the right things. And we certainly won't want to say the wrong things. And yet God, in his grace and his mercy, invites us to talk to him in our most Difficult situations in our times of feeling utterly destroyed and totally inadequate and unable to understand what God's doing. God says to us, talk to me. I want to hear what you have to say. And you know what? God is big enough to take our crankiness, our misunderstandings of what he's doing in our lives, our lack of graciousness towards others. Our insensitivity to the people who are around us and that we love the most, who we hurt often the most. God's able to hear us, even through the the screen of all of those different things. He asks God to talk to him and Jonah answers back. He says, he says, yes, I am angry enough to die. Third time we've seen him put himself in God's hands, asking that God would take his life. There's a lot of self-absorption. Self-pity. I think there's also a sense of agony about his physical discomfort. We can't minimize how this sometimes influences the way we respond in different situations. He was hurting. He was faint. The heat really got to him. I I can really relate to this issue. um, Because as a kid who grew up in the Philippines, grew up in the tropics, I hated the heat. I never liked the heat. Uh, and every time I go back to Asia, and I've been back a couple of times, uh, I guess I've only been one time, but 
Every time I go back to the, the time I went back to Asia, I again re-experienced the heat and it was devastating for me. It actually took me again to a real learning situation where I had to trust God. But this agony that he's feeling in his physical discomfort causes causes Jonah to, 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 to say to God, just take my life, just get it over with. I can't take this anymore. Well, God has a, a, another message that he wants to give to him. He wants to take him to the, the big lesson of the book of Jonah. Let's read verses 10 and 11. But God, but the Lord said, you've been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? This is the lesson of this book. This is the lesson that he was giving and it shocked Israel. It shocked Jonah. And it should be kind of a wake up call for us as well. God is saying that my patience, my compassion extends outside the household of Israel. My compassion is toward all I have made, even the most undeserving. Even towards the people we would consider enemies or people we consider are destroying our culture or destroying our people or destroying my life. To them as well, God is reaching out in compassion. It's a wake up call. He wanted them to get used to this idea. Jewish people were not. We're not hot on this idea, but he also wants us to get on board with this idea. We, too, have a list of the undeserving, right? And I'm going to put undeserving in quotation marks because who are we to say who was undeserving? Talk about that in a second. Those we think who we think need deserve mercy, deserve justice as opposed to mercy. We want we may not say it out loud, but we think it in our heads and we, we, we think about it in our hearts and sometimes, especially faced in situations where we have enemies, we might even wish them dead. These are strong feelings that we have and, 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 and I think all of us have them. And while we may want strict and immediate justice against evil and wrongdoing, we have to admit there's a lot of it around us right now. There's a lot. Why does evil persist in this world? Why does God... Why doesn't God do away with it? Why does he allow it to be there? Isn't he a God of justice? Yes, he is. But here's what the Bible says. Look at a couple of verses um, in, um, in second, uh, second Peter. So he says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. And the promise, and you look at the context, the promise is about the return of Christ and the judgment of the unrighteous. So, God is not slow about this. It says, He is not slow about this in keeping His promise as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He goes on to say, further on, and the New Living Translation says it this, and remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. Why does God allow people who are doing evil, people who are disseminating wrong ideas about life, about God, about people, to let them do it? Because he's giving them time to come to faith in Jesus Christ. 
That's the goal. That's, that's what's happening. That's what's behind all of this. God's justice is always tempered by mercy. He gives time to, to people to turn to him. It's a quote I want to also read. This is from Bruckner as well, from his commentary on Jonah. He says this, Jonah recites this reputation to God, the reputation about you are compassionate and patient and kind and slow to anger. He recites this reputation to God as the primary reason for his discontent. He is not faithless in doing it. Rather, he invites the reader to consider the radical implications of such a God. It means that... Evil will endure longer on the earth, for God is slow to anger. It means that God's grace, love, and compassion will be extended to the rebellious, wayward, and even the violent in the world. If you're like me, I want strict justice, especially for those who do wrong things to me, or to my family, or to people I care about. But God will show mercy to the most undeserving, and we need to get used to it. But not only that, we need to get on board. We need to get used to the fact that God is reaching out to the undeserving, but we need to get on board with that. Jesus' ministry was a ministry of mercy. He taught. He announced the gospel. He, he, He gave light to the blind. He preached peace to the troubled. He, uh, proclaimed free to those who were bound. He had this ministry of teaching that was profound. And then he had acts of mercy, feeding people, healing, driving out demons, sitting and talking with tax collectors and sinners, the people who were the outcasts of his generation. Jesus was there and he did all that. But as Jesus was preparing to leave earth and leave his disciples to carry on his ministry, what did he say to them? He said, as the father has sent me, I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, so send I you, says the King James. I'm sending you to be these agents of mercy in, in the world. He also said this, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That pushes us into a realm of uncomfortability where we feel, at least I do, ill at ease at reaching out to those people who are on, on the extreme edge of what I want to say is acceptable. And yet those are the people that God is reaching out to and he wants us, he wants you, he wants me to be the ones who are continuing to do that. We need to ask God to enter into his ongoing work of mercy and he wants us to be the agents of that mercy. He's going to use all sorts of means. He does. Some people win the lottery. Some For some people that's an act of mercy. Sometimes that's a curse. Um, but God is reaching out in mercy to, in many different ways. But one of the prime ways he's going to do it is through his followers. That's us. So how do you get on board with God's mission of mercy? We want to remember who God is and talk to him. We may get into some really difficult conversations on this because God will say, hey, go to this person over here and we'll go, I don't know. And we need to recognize that God will will listen to us and will talk with us. Remember God's mercy to you. Who are the undeserving in this world? Who are the undeserving in this world? All of us. We, none of us deserves God's mercy. And yet God extends his mercy to us. He reaches out with his love. We are the undeserving. We are sometimes like the older brother of the prodigal son 
who, who isn't really happy with the prodigal son coming back because of the implications for themselves. And then we need to reach out in mercy, especially to those who are often considered undeserving, either by ourselves or by our culture. They are the people who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and be saved. One of the finest examples of these of this was uh, around events that happened in the middle of the last century. 1956, January 8, Jim Elliott and Nate Saint were killed, among, along with three others, on a beach in a river in Ecuador. In 1958, two years later, his wife, Elizabeth, Jim Elliott's wife, Elizabeth, and Nate Saint's sister, Rachel, went to live with the killers. And they preached the gospel. They translated the Bible into their language. And today, if you go into that community, you will find a healthy Christian church. Why? Because they showed mercy. Because they reached out. Because they were willing to go across barriers and reach to people who had, who had killed their husband and their brother. And they reached out in love and they extended mercy. And those people have come to faith in Christ. May that be our story today too. Let's pray. Our Father, as we come to the end of this book of Jonah, we thank you for this prophet who was faithful to you in spite of his bad attitude at times, his disobedience. We thank you that he never gave up, that he kept going that he kept talking to you and that you used him in a mighty way. May we, Lord, be transformed and be changed so that we extend mercy to those who are around us. May we be the ones who give and give away our faith and our love and our hope for you, hope in you to others. In Jesus' name, amen.